I don't know if it's just because it's that time of year and, and kids are moving up from one grade to the next and graduating from high school, but I've had so many conversations over the past couple of weeks with parents that have reminded me once again that uh, kids grow up fast, that I better enjoy Abby while I can. Um, the time flies the older you get, so, so thank you for all the encouragement. That's, you know, happy, fun, positive you know, thoughts, but speaking truth, that's true, it's true. If the next uh, almost eight years go as fast as the previous almost eight years, I'll have a driver before I, you know, turn my head. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, and it's almost enough to make you wish. I don't know if you remember that old TV show back in the 80s where the guy had the stopwatch. Some of you older people might remember it. He could stop time. You know, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Or slow down time or even have a time machine to go back in time and maybe fix some mistakes or relive some good moments. That would be really nice if we could do that. And that got me to thinking about, you know, some of the different... I love time travel-themed movies, especially Back to the Future movies. I love the Back to the Future movies. Of course, I'm a child of the 80s, so you know, I grew up with that. And for those of you that maybe have never seen or haven't seen it in a long time, let me just remind you the premise of that. The premise of, of the movie is that Doc Brown takes a DeLorean um, and makes a time machine out of it, right? And so if you drive that thing up to... How, does anybody know how fast? Very good. 88 miles per hour, then you can go back in time. Or you can go into the future. And so uh, what happens is Marty McFly, it's Michael J. Fox's character, accidentally goes back in time to 1955. And he meets his parents while they're in high school. And he inadvertently keeps them from meeting and falling in love, thereby jeopardizing uh, his own future, right? I mean, if they don't fall in love and get married, he won't be born. And so uh, one of the things throughout the movie, he's got this picture of him and his brother and sister, and they slowly start fading away as the movie goes. And so his mission is to play matchmaker and get his parents together so that they'll fall in love and get married and he can be born. And of course, the end of the movie, spoiler alert, he, he does it, um, comes back to the present, but life is better because he was able to influence his parents. And, and so the present was changed for the better. And so that's an interesting theme in that movie, the idea that our actions today have consequences, that they have an impact in how our future and our children's futures will turn out. It's an interesting theme for a, for a popcorn flick 1985 movie. But the second movie has, I think, even a more profound theme for us today. And Back to the Future 2... Um, Doc Brown has come back from the future, and he tells Marty and his girlfriend Jennifer, "We got to take you to the future." And he's like, "Oh no, great! You know what's happening? You know what 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 happens to us?" And he says, "It's not you; it's your kids. Your kids are in trouble. We got to get you to the future to save your kids." And it turns out that his son is about to basically, you know, embark on a life of crime and get arrested and all this stuff. So Marty has got to try to change things for his children's sake. And that all happens in the year 2015, by the way. So that, you know, flying cars and hoverboards, right? We've got those things, you know, exactly. So they, they got that right. Um, but, you know, as a parent, I watched that movie in a totally different light. It's an amazing idea to consider what if we could go into or see into the future and how our decisions today impact our kids' futures. Would that not be an amazing thing? If we could see into the future, it might just change the way we look at today, mightn't it? It might change the way we parent. It might change what we make a big deal out of or what we don't make a big deal out of. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could do that? Well, in a way, we can do that. 
I mean, I can't talk to my future self, you know, whose Abby's all grown up. I can't do that. But I can talk to other parents who have been where I'm going to be. So in a way, I can kind of do that. And through the, through the you know, the magic of Facebook, I, I did that this past week. I put out a little Facebook survey and I said, Parents, if you could go back in time to when your kids were very small, what parenting advice would you give yourself? And I had 40 different responses. And, and you can see up there on that little word cloud, um, the, the bigger the word, the more that word occurred in those 40 responses. So you can see that the, the main things that parents are talking about were things like talking to your kid, spending time with your kid, listening to your children, teaching them. I mean, that's pro- profound themes started to show up in these responses. I just want to give you a sampling of what parents wrote. One parent said, I would teach them to be more responsible at an early age, and I would have spent more time making meaningful memories with them. And there were several responses about teaching values like independence and responsibility and self-confidence. Parents talked a lot about the value of doing chores, holding your kids accountable, using discipline wisely. Another response said, my stepson is about to be 25 and I wish someone had told me how hard it is and how it cannot be done without God. I wish I'd been told that mistakes happen, but grace covers a multitude of things. And and so, of course, many respondents talked about the importance of trusting in the Lord and depending on Him, praying for your kids, forgiveness, grace, being wise in picking your battles. Uh, Those were common themes that came up. Another response said, spend more time with them and do more with them. Time flies. Talk more about spiritual things. Make sure they know the importance of a relationship with the Lord. And again, as the word cloud showed, spending time with your children was one of the most often mentioned things. And discipleship and spiritual formation were also high on that list. And so was listening. Listen was one of the big words on that, on that word cloud. This person said, stay in the moment and listen. Those things that don't seem that big to us are huge to them. Parents who don't listen when they're young often... This is very wise. I'll come back to this later. Parents who don't listen when they're young often find that when they suddenly want their teenagers to talk to them about all the things that are part of the teen world, it's a bit late to build that kind of relationship. And I'm going to make a a big point about this later, but that was very profound. And then someone else said, I would tell my younger self to slow down. Kids do not have to be busy all the time. It's okay to sit out a season and to not join a club. And Amen. That's right. That's true for adults too. And, and, and a lot of people talked about that, about slowing down. You know, living in the moment, enjoying the stage of life your child is in right now. Don't wish them any older than they already are. And, and don't give in to that pressure to keep them busy. Several wished that they had given their kids more just sort of unstructured playtime and, and, and more family meals around the table. There were a lot of great responses. I encourage you, you know, feel free, go to my Facebook page and read them all. This is just a sampling of, of the things that, that people said. And, and really, if I could synthesize all of this stuff down into one thing, I would say this. The number one thing all parents want for their kids in the future, for their future relationships with their children, is influence. Influence, I think, is the number one thing all these parents were really trying to say. Regardless of the phase of parenting you're in, you want influence in your children's lives. I mean, when they're in preschool, the influence is simple. I want you to do what I want you to do when I tell you to do it, right? 
Do this and do it now. That's the kind of influence you want in that preschooler's life. Uh, fourth and fifth graders, you know, they're, they're about to go into middle school. And, and you want to still have a voice in their lives. You, you want to be able to still shape them into the people they're becoming. And you want them to come to you for help and advice as they begin navigating those teen years. That's the kind of influence you want. When, when, you're, when they're in high school, moms and dads, and many of you are right, right there where I'm talking about here, they're about to leave home. And I know that, that the influence you want is you want them to live out the values you've instilled in them. And you want them to want to come home and to see you. You want them to call you when they need help, when they want advice, when they're making those big decisions. You want that kind of influence in their lives. And, and, and those of you who are parents of adult children, I know this because I know this is what my parents want from me. You still want to have that influence because you want to be a resource for them. You want to help them to avoid maybe some of the mistakes you've avoided as a parent or, or in your marriage or, or financially. You want to be that, that God, that resource. You want to be somebody they can come to for help. I know I call my dad all the time when I've got some home project I need help on fixing. Dad, what do I do with this? And, and I call him up to ask him that. Basically, you want to be involved in their life and you want them to be involved in your life. So the question is, if that's what we want, if we all want to have greater influence in our children's lives, how do we gain and maintain and leverage that influence with our children? And the answer is, is another simple word, relationship. It's all about relationship, specifically three key relationships we have to maintain if we're going to leverage influence in our kids' lives now and in the future. And we see these three relationships in Deuteronomy 6. Verses 4 through 9. I referenced this passage with Ben and Christie a little while ago. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Well, the first relationship we see here is our relationship with God. Our relationship with God as moms and dads, as grandparents. Before I can gain and leverage influence in Abby's life, I need to take stock of the influences in my life. Who's influencing me? Who's shaping me into becoming the person that I'm becoming? And the answer to that question better be who? God, right? I mean, look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. Now, you remember from our Ten Commandments series, the whole point of the first two commandments is the idea that the Lord is one. There is one God who deserves our worship and our praise. There is one God to whom we should turn for our purpose and our identity and our meaning in life. If we trust anyone or anything but God for those things, then those are idols and we're to have no idols. We're to have no other gods before Him. He should be the only true influencer in our lives. Now, God can influence us in many ways. God can influence us through the Bible. God influences us through His Holy Spirit. God can influence us through godly men and women in our lives who speak God's truth to us and hold us accountable and who can be those examples to us. God can influence us through the events of our lives as we reflect on them, but God should be our influencer. 
And that's why it's vital for me to prioritize time with God and the energy I pour into my own walk with the Lord. Remember when God gave the Shema, that's this passage right here, when God gave the Shema and the Ten Commandments to Israel, they were coming out of a pagan, polytheistic culture in Egypt, and they were going to Canaan land, another pagan, polyistic culture. And these pagan religions taught that if you wanted to be happy and successful and fulfilled, then you had to please this God and that God and this God and that God. You had to do all these things if you wanted to be happy and successful and fulfilled. Thankfully, our culture today is so far evolved beyond that, right? No. Our culture is no different. We are told constantly that if we want to be happy and fulfilled, we have to buy this product. We have to drive this kind of car. We have to have this kind of phone. We have to have a house that's this big. We have to make this much money. We have to have these accolades and these accomplishments. And that attitude, it infiltrates our parenting too. It influences how we view our kids. The expectations that we have for them. What we think they need. What we should give them. What things we need to get them involved in. If we want them to be happy, well-adjusted kids... We want them to be successful socially. We want them to have the right kind of friends. We want them to be successful academically and athletically. We want them to get into the right schools and to play the right sports and to get the right scholarships, to have the right teacher. Now, by themselves, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. We should want the best for our children. But we have to be careful because if these become the driving forces in our parenting decisions then we've turned to idols. We've turned those things into idols. We're trying to leverage things as influencers in our children's life that are apart from God. And whatever you use to influence your children can very easily become a God for them as well. The Bible tells us that the Lord our God is one. He should be our one primary source of satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose and identity and direction. And so moms and dads and grandparents, if we don't get this one right, if we don't get our relationship with the Lord right, no matter what else we do or have, we won't be happy and fulfilled in life and we'll be leading our children down a life of unfulfillment. Psalm 73, 25 says, "Whom Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. God should be our all in all. And our relationship with God will influence our parenting in two ways. One, our priorities will become reoriented. When I focus on my heart, when I focus my heart and mind on the things of heaven, instead of storing up treasures on earth, then my priorities and my beliefs about what matters and what's important are totally redirected. So when I focus on my relationship with God, my priorities get reoriented. Secondly, I'm setting a pattern for my daughter to follow. In my relationship with God, I am setting an example, a pattern, a rhythm for her to follow. Uh, Back in April, we had the Great Commission Rally for the KBA here. And if you were not here that night, you missed hearing one of the most dynamic speakers I've heard in a long time. And I'm trying to get him to come here and preach on a Sunday morning sometime. But he's interim pastoring a large church in Atlanta right now, so it may be next year. But Steve Parr is one of your Georgia Baptist Mission Board State missionaries. 
He's in the the Department of Evangelism. And he spoke at that rally and shared some of his research on what makes young people stay connected with their faith after high school. And what he's discovered in that research, and others have found the same thing in other books, is is that the parents' faith commitment is a huge factor. There's a few statistics uh, we're going to put up on the screen here. For example, those who had parents that served in church were 50% as likely to have stayed in church as those whose parents didn't serve. So having parents who were actually involved, teaching Sunday school, serving as a deacon, singing in the choir, serving in some way, your children will be 50% more likely to be in church after high school. Another one is that those who grew up regularly attending worship with their parents, sitting in the pew with mom and dad, were over 37% more likely to continue in church after high school. In other words, those parents have set a faith pattern for their kids to follow. Your walk with God has a greater influence on your child's faith than anything else, than how good the church's youth or children's program is, than, than anything It's your faith commitment with the Lord. Kara Powell, in her book, Sticky Faith, wrote this. How you express and live out your faith may have a greater impact on your son or daughter than anything else. Now take a second and just let the weight of that statement sink in. In the words of Marty McFly, whoa, that's heavy. It's heavy. It's a heavy responsibility. But it shouldn't be a crushing one. Because I know you're sitting there thinking, well, David, I'm just, I'm not perfect. I can't be a perfect parent. Well, I've got good news for you. You don't have to be a perfect parent. Your children don't need a perfect example to follow. They need an honest example to follow. They need an authentic example to follow. Our kids need to learn from us how to be humble and admit our mistakes. How to confess our sins and ask forgiveness from God and other people. Our children need to see that we need a Savior. Their moms and dads are dependent on the grace of God and His mercies that are new every morning. Kids need to see that too. And one way we do this is by having these commandments in our own heart. By loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then we impress them on their children. The order of this is so important in this passage. We're to have these commandments on our heart first, then we impress them on our children's hearts. We surround them. We saturate our homes and our lives with God's Word. And that brings us to the second relationship, and that is our relationship with our children. First is our relationship with God. Secondly, our relationship with our kids. Now, there is no question... The Western cultural values are shifting dramatically and not in a good direction. And our culture is waging war against families, especially against parents' authority and relationship in the lives of their children. There are so many attacks coming against our time and our attention with our kids. I just want to share with you two brief examples. Maybe you've seen it in the news or online. The first is a Facebook post that a teacher put, and it's gone viral. And basically, she says that, that every year at the beginning of the school year, she sends home an assignment to moms and dads. And she says, she jokingly says in a million words or less, <laughs> tell me about your kid. And she wants to get to know the children in her classroom better by getting this essay back from moms and dads. And when she started it out in 2003, you see that stack, 98% of parents turned it in. In 2017, 22% 
of parents turned it in. And her point is that it's this lack of parental interest and involvement in, in their children's lives that are at least partly to blame for the rise in bullying and suicide and, and even maybe school shootings. And I think she may be on to something. You know, I, I look at that and it makes me wonder, what has changed? What has changed in those intervening 14 years that parents are so disengaged and so, so you know, they can't even complete this simple assignment? Well, maybe this next one, this next assignment, might shed a little light on exactly what's happening with moms and dads. A second grade teacher had her class write about something that they wish hadn't been invented. And out of 21 assignments, four of them talked about their parents' cell phones. And I'll read this to you. You, can't, you may not be able to see it. Uh, the, 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 the student writes, tell me about an invention that you don't like. Why? And this kid said, if I had to tell you what invention I don't like, I would say that I don't like the phone. I don't like the phone because my parents are on their phone every day. A phone is sometimes a really bad habit. I hate my mom's phone, and I wish she never had one. That's an invention that I don't like. And she drew a phone, scratched it out, and put a sad face in a word bubble that says, I hate it. How many of us are distracted from really hearing and seeing our kids because we're on our phones or so focused on work or any number of good things, but we allow them to distract us from the best things? I love this picture, and Julie gets on to me about this a lot because I'm always trying to get a video or a picture of something. But look, look at this picture. You've got all these people watching some parade or something happen. And look, every single person in that picture has what in their hand? Except for this delightful lady. <laughs> and just look at the smile on her face. She's living in the moment. And she's experiencing life for herself unfiltered. Not through a phone screen. What about us? Which of those people are you more like today? The people who are watching life through a screen? More interested in what somebody's saying or doing miles away than what's happening right in front of your face? The two things our culture is most trying to keep us from giving our kids are actually the two best building blocks to helping us have a strong, lifelong relationship of influence with them. And that is time and attention. Your kids need time and attention from you more than anything. And the earlier we can start building our relationships with our children using these two critical elements, the greater our influence down the road. And this comes back to that response I told you about earlier. Look, I want to put you this chart up. It's in your notes as well. This is a, a chart about parental influence. And you'll see that when your child is an infant, your positional influence is the greatest. Positional influence means that you have authority over them, you have influence in their life, simply because you're bigger, you're smarter, and you've got all the money. You have positional influence over your kids. You tell them, you better do such and such or else. Or when they, you ask them to do something, they say, why? You say, because I said so. That's positional influence. But notice what happens somewhere around middle school, ninth grade. Your positional influence has sharply decreased and what is on the increase? Your relational influence. 
Your kids respond less to because I said so and more to the relational investments you've made in them. At this point, your teenager hopefully is leveraging the trust they have in you because of the relational equity that you've invested into them. But, but even if you've got children who are past that, it's never too late to start giving your kids the time and the attention that they need from you. And one way you can do that is simply put down the phone. And Julia, you can call me on this, okay? Put down the phone. Pay attention to them. Genuinely listen to what they say. And learn to say no to some things, okay? So that your kids can have time to be kids. So that you can build memories with them. So that you can have some time to sit around the table and actually have a family meal together. Another way is to plan some intentional fun. Some planned spontaneity, if you will. Now, here on the corners of the platform and in the back is a packet that Ben has put together. It's called The Best Summer Ever. And I just want to very quickly show you what's in this packet. Because we've produced this, and there's other resources at the Faith at Life Center, a Faith at Home Center, that are there to help you do just this. So in that packet is a little letter from me. And then behind that is the main guide. And, and I've already done this with my family. We've sat down, we've looked through this. It gives you some great suggestions of things to do this summer and throughout the summer to really make that intentional time to build those lasting memories with your children. Inside there is, a, is a, for you to write down some fun goals and some spiritual goals, kind of like a bucket list of things you want to make sure you do with your family this summer. Uh, there's an activity, sort of a date night activity for husbands and wives to do that together. Um, and even a little game you can play with your kids to help you pick some fun things to do this summer. There's a summer tech plan to, to give you some practical ways you can actually sort of cut the digital leash and, and, and actually have some phone-free fun with your family this summer. And then the last piece in there is a great guide about how to take the 4th of July. And I would assume, I, I would imagine some of these can apply tomorrow if you have a big Memorial Day celebration there's just some ways to be intentional about celebrating these holidays from a biblical perspective. Um, it's some great resources. And I hope that every single family in here has or will pick up one of these and put it to good use this summer. My family has already sat down and, and we've come up with some goals and some things we want to make sure that we do with Abby this summer. And the third relationship we've got to focus on is our, relationship, is our kids' relationship with other adults. Our children's relationship with other adults. Look back at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God isn't just talking to moms and dads in this passage. Just like I, I said in the, in the parent-child dedication. He's speaking to us as a faith community. He was addressing all of the nation of Israel. God knows that parents can't solely raise their children to know and follow Him alone. It takes other men and women of God to speak truth into their lives and to model godliness for them. We, we could just kind of translate that verse today to hear, O First Baptist Church of Thompson, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we need to impress this on the hearts of our children. Or as our New Testament reading said this morning, you know, it, it refers in there... Peter's talking to Timothy about the people from whom he has learned the Word of God. From infancy, he learned the Scriptures. Now, Paul is talking about his parent, his mother and his grandmother, but Paul's also talking about him. About Paul's influence on Timothy. Paul's talking about the church. 
that his mother and grandmother raised him in, that faith community. You know, I know it's sad, and, and, and I hope this isn't news to anybody, but there comes a day when your kids just don't want to listen to what you have to say. Abby's already gotten to that point. She's seven, and already I get the, oh, Dad, you know, and the little eye roll, which, you know, we work on that. But, <laughs> but let me tell you this. Here's what I've learned as a youth minister. Okay? I can't speak as a parent of a teenager, but I can speak as somebody who was in youth ministry for over 20 years. Your kids just don't want you to think they're listening to you, but guess what? They're listening to you. They hear what you say. They just don't want to... I don't know, give you the big head. I don't know, I don't know what that's about, but, but, and, and they need to hear it from someone else. And so we can maximize our influence by surrounding our children with people who are going to reinforce those values and convictions we're trying to instill in them. You know, when a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a youth worker or a school teacher or coach, when they say the same thing that you've been saying, you know what that does? That lends you credibility in the eyes of your kid. Oh, it's not just mom and dad saying that. You know, I don't know, has anybody ever said something to your kid or tried to say something to your kid and they just sort of just balked and didn't respond? But then they come back and they say, you know what, coach said this and I think it's great. And you're like, well, I, that's, I've been telling you that for years, son. You know, I'm sure I did that to my parents. Kids need godly men and women who are going to invest in them and pray for them, and speak truth to them. Not because they have to, not because they're supposed to, but because they want to, and because they genuinely love them. And our kids need this now more than ever. Because the truth is, moms and dads, times have changed. You really don't know what your kids are going through today. It wasn't that long ago I was a teenager, I like to tell myself. But even in those few years, the world is a different world today. Today, kids have unprecedented access to cultural influence that you and I never had. They have unprecedented constant access to violence, to drugs, to pornography, to all sorts of messages that we never had thrown at our faces 24-7. And kids today face unprecedented pressure to fit in and to measure up and to figure out their lives before they've even learned how to drive. Social media and the Internet have only increased and magnified this access and this pressure that we never had to face. You know, when you and I were bullied at school, we could escape it when we went home that afternoon or over the weekend or over summer break. But thanks to cell phones, kids now can carry their friends and their bullies and the peer pressure around with them everywhere they go 24-7. They never get a break from it. So kids today are so overwhelmed. And they don't know where to go and they don't know what to do. You know, I'm here today standing in front of you because of some adults who showed up every Sunday and every Wednesday to teach me God's Word and to work with me and to invest relationally in my life. Men and women who believed in me and who told me how much God loved me and that God was going to do great things through me. And I believed them. And if it wasn't for those men and women, if it wasn't for Dale and Sue Finger teaching me Sunday school and Bible drill and speakers tournament, if it wasn't for Myron and Brenda Farner who worked with me in lads and RAs and crusaders every Wednesday night for years, if it wasn't for uh, Robin and Joe White and Rod and Glenda Finley, my youth workers, I wouldn't be here today. These are the men and women that helped me navigate my teen years. Who showed up for you? I'm sure you'd name people like John Dyer. 
Laverne Melton, Royce Raley, Steve Stokes, Art Holloway. Who are the other men and women? Men and women sitting in this sanctuary right here who showed up for you. Who helped you get where you are today in life. Who helped you to become the Christian that you are today. I believe one of the greatest things we can do as a church for the future is to make significant investments in the next generation. We need more men and women of all ages and of all walks of life to plug into our preschool and our children and our youth and young adult ministries because the need and the urgency is greater today than ever. We can't provide upward basketball and vacation Bible school. We can't send our youth on mission projects and mission trips. We can't provide programs on Sundays and Wednesdays without you. We can't reach the boys and girls in Raysville and bring them here on Sunday mornings without someone to go drive the bus. Our youngest and most impressionable need loving adults to hold them and love on them and play with them in that nursery every week, helping them to form the most early and fundamental impressions of the church as a place of welcome and love. Moms and dads, I implore you, to give the highest priority to your relationship with God. To let that reorient your priorities. To set a pattern for your children's faith. Give your kids the time and the attention they need now so that you can leverage that relational equity someday down the road. So that you can have built-in influence with them. I mean, you have built-in influence with them, positional influence when they're young, but you've got to build into them that relational influence for the future. That's not natural. You have to work at that and get them into church. Keep them in church. Plug them into Sunday school. Have them here on Wednesday nights. Let them come and sing on Sunday nights. Places where they can build relationships with godly men and women who want to help you influence them for Christ. Worship with them on Sunday mornings. That's important. That's vital. That statistic, 37% more likely to stay in church if you just worship with them on Sunday mornings. But if you're serving, and if you've got them, you know, they can't really build a relationship with the other adults in the worship hour. But there are some amazing men and women in this church who want to work with your kids, who can show them that there are godly men and women who love them and care about them, who can reinforce the things that you're teaching them, but you've got to have them here. And church, whether you have kids or not, adults, we need to invest not just, not just in Ben and Christie's kids, not just in Abby, not just in, in, in Micah and Sarah. Every child in this church needs you. They need to know your name. They need to know that you know their name. You need to be praying for them. Get to know them. Build relationships with them. Serve them. I could probably, if pressed, name to you almost every adult in the church I grew up in. I knew them all. And that was either because they gave me candy after worship... Or they taught me. They worked with me in some way. And we've got enough adults in this church. We ought to be knocking out children's ministries left and right. If you do that, you'll truly be storing up treasures in heaven. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank You for the gift of children. The gift of youth and young people. For they are invaluable to your kingdom. They are models for us of, of, of childlike faith and trust. But they're also models to us of dependence on our Father. 
God, help us as moms and dads and grandparents, as aunts and uncles that, that have influence in the lives of our nieces and nephews. God, help us to be the kind of men and women You would have us to be that we can lead the way for them, that we can set a pattern for them, that we can influence them for Christ. And God, I pray that we as a church, and Lord, there are men and women all across us, maybe they feel like they've served their time. Maybe they feel like they've been there and they've done that, Lord. But God, they've got so much to offer. And I pray You would prick their hearts, Father, and call them out to serve. Lord, it truly hinges on the next generation. What this country will be like, what Your church will be like. And we're on the front lines of that battle. Help us to be bold and brave and to take Your charge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.